Before we jump into the episode, I have to tell you about the newly renovated Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom in Scottsdale. They've partnered with over 16 local designers and cabinet companies, of which I know most of them. I can say that this really helps give the immersive experience for anybody wanting to visualize their future kitchen. It's a place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Product experts assist you throughout the entire project, view an array of options, and see them in full-size kitchen vignettes. Turn knobs, open drawers, ignite flames, determine the best fit for you. Chef-led demonstrations provide the opportunity to ask questions of the experts that use them every day. Schedule your appointment at subzero-wolf.com backslash Scottsdale, or you can call 480-921-0900. It's a constant balancing act. So for a lot of us, we feel like the captain, reactive to the business. And we're good at it. We get really good at being reactive. But it's a choice, and it's a choice you've made, and it's a choice I've made. Actually, everybody listening has made the choice. The choice to stay the captain, or to try to work towards being the captain that wants to be the lighthouse, that wants to get systems and processes in place. Welcome to episode 163 of the AFT Construction Podcast, and today we have Dom Rubino. And Dom is a business coach, he's an author, he's been on TED Talk, and he's also an entrepreneur at heart. He's started many companies and I love this episode with Dom. He dives into what he calls the captain versus the lighthouse. Also, you know, getting into company culture, you know, finding and fixing profit links. Some of these things that are really important for us business owners, how does that apply to us? And in fact, there's a little realization moment for myself in this episode, just on some things I need to do in my process, you know, the business development process and just internally. So again, great nuggets from Dom tremendously informative. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the AT Construction Podcast, and we have Dom Rubino with us. Welcome, Dom. Hey, how are you, Brett? Good. I'm, I'm actually really excited about the episode, Dom. And just a quick background, Dom is a business coach, author, entrepreneur. Uh, I know you've sold some amazing companies. We'll get into, uh, you, you've spoken, you have a TED Talk out there that we can all I look do. up. So it's pretty impressive. I, I Before we go, go sideways, but um, just a quick background, Dom and I connected I was on your podcast, on your show, and right. just was blown away just by uh, just your knowledge base and what you offer to the community, your entrepreneurship. And I know you're an entrepreneur at heart, which is essentially our entire audience. And uh, there were some things you said that I'm like, okay, I got to bring Dom on so he can elaborate. And you know, the first one was the captain or lighthouse. So maybe we'll start there. Yeah, you like that one. Yeah. I mean, just, just captain or lighthouse. It's like, okay, well, this can go many ways. What? Yeah. Well, it's. You know what it's about is the leadership style that you have, right? There's, there's an old joke, and you may or may not have heard it, but there's this boat, and it's bearing down on this other smaller boat, this huge Navy destroyer, and it's sending those light signals off to this other boat in the distance. It says, look, you had to change your course. We're a naval destroyer. And the, the other light coming back is saying, no, no, I think you need to change your course. And the captain on the <laughs> naval destroyer is like, are you kidding me? And then eventually they realize, hey, we're talking to a lighthouse. <laughs> And I've heard that, that story. It's a good one. Right. And so if you're a business leader, I want you to think about yourself as either the captain of that naval destroyer or the lighthouse. You can choose either one. The lighthouse, that light scans, right? We've all seen a lighthouse. It's one of, you know, it's one of the, the list of places where are we going to go this spring break or, you know, we're going to go somewhere stormy. We're going to go somewhere sunny, right? But if you go somewhere stormy, you see these lighthouses. But the lighthouse spins and it illuminates the dangers in the water, these islands. Well, those islands are time, team, 
money, what's our growth strategy, right? It, it illuminates those for you so that the captain can navigate. Now, when you're the captain of your business, as you and I are, are we looking for the lighthouse as an asset? Or are we just trying to be the gutsy, grit your teeth, I'm the captain, I'm going to force my way through anything, even if we're going to run into one of those islands. And so you have to choose what kind of leader you're going to be. You could be the captain, or you could be the lighthouse, but either way, you've got to choose. So that's interesting. I mean, when you when you give the analogy of Captain Lighthouse, and maybe we'll start with the lighthouse, um, you know, if this is kind of our beacon, right, that we want to be the leader, such as a lighthouse, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, look, you know, we're stationary, right? We have good leadership. We're, we're looking at the different yeah. aspects, like you said, time and team and, you know, the assets that we have as our company, business development and the customer experience and all these things that go into that mm-hmm. marketing. I mean, there's so many elements, right, to run a business. What does that mean what, as that light's rotating? Are you focusing on certain elements? We all heard, hey, Dom, if you're a business owner, you need to spend X hours, X time on your business, right? But what does that mean? How does that break down? Is there something that's more important than something else? Yeah. So things change, right? Some things are more important than other things. But if I was the lighthouse, if I was, if I got my business to the point where I'm running it as that solid structure, you know, I've got a team in place, that light is scanning, I, I have a dashboard. I have numbers I believe in, in the business that are telling me uh, you know, I mentioned time and team and money as perhaps the islands that are out there. Let's just stick with those, right? If we're late to deliver things to our customers or we've got a quality issue, that's going to show up on my dashboard. That's the light that's flashing. And if everything else is green on my dashboard, everything else is okay, well, I can leave that for now. But there's this thing looming in the distance and it's quality or it's time to deliver or it's, um, you know, for a lot of us right now, it's recruiting. So it does change over time, but we have to choose what we're looking at. And, you know, strategies, and maybe this is a a good example as you're thinking about this, because essentially what you're saying, Dom, is, you know, that proactive versus reactive, right? And Yes, exactly. Yeah, and if we have a dashboard to whatever that means for your business, right? And the dashboard is really, here's here's some key components of our business, some key metrics that we're tracking to -hmm. know that we're at least delivering on our sales pitch. We're at least delivering on our brand or our ideologies as a company. Mm-hmm. With that said, as you're thinking about this with each employee, I'll give a case in point. You know, sometimes, and maybe there's there's a couple examples for you to think on and how this relates to any business. I remember when I was an employee working for a company and we're working on this complicated hotel resort and me being in the weeds, you know, I was always like, I'm an employee. I didn't understand payroll, right? I don't understand what it costs to pay me and everyone on the project. I mean, it's just I wasn't at that level. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. just out of college, you know, young know-it-all, you know, but the reality is, you know, I remember going to my director of operations and the owner, like we need help, we need people. And they'd always say, well, you can't just throw manpower at it. And there's other things that go into it. And it would frustrate me because I'm like, well, I need yeah. like immediate help now. And not to say anyone's right, wrong or different, but that was kind of how that was handled. And I see now being an owner, there are different strategies on when you bring people on, when you train them, how you manage a process. And what does the, the tail look like? When you're done with this project, do you have to fire a bunch of people you just brought on? Are my systems not in place to like mm-hmm. handle this? And so when employees are coming now saying, Brad, I think we need some help, you know, there's a fine balance to say, okay, do we need to just hire someone to solve an immediate need? Or are we looking at the big picture? There's a lot of components. And I didn't even really ask you a, an exact question on that, just kind of formulating, you know, what probably yeah. a lot of builders and designers are dealing with that you need a lot of labor. There's not a lot out there. You're trying to keep this workload. Yeah. And how do you balance that? 
well, that's just it. It's a constant balancing act. So for a lot of us, we feel like the captain, reactive to the business. And we're good at it. We get really good at being reactive. But it's a choice. And it's a choice you've made and it's a choice I've made. Actually, everybody listening has made the choice. The choice to stay the captain or to try to work towards being the captain that wants to be the lighthouse, that wants to get systems and processes in place. You know, we can learn on one project, let's say a complicated hotel build, hey, we keep running short on manpower at this place. It's always on the facade. Why is it on the facade? And then you start to design buildings that don't have that requirement, or you start to anticipate in advance and you sub think, you know, I'm, I, the answer is different for everybody. But we can start to anticipate if we have the numbers and if we're tracking things and we go, hey, last time we did this on this kind of grade with that kind of soil, we ran into a problem. Let's anticipate that instead of just rushing blindly in and like we did when we were laborers on a job site. I did it too. <laughs> My biggest concern that day was I was excited what I had for lunch. I was, this is right. going to be a great what lunch. What time's today. lunch? What yeah. time's lunch, right? That was my big, that's all I thought about. You know, I was framing outside walls and thought I was doing a great job. I'm moving up in the company. But as you grow in a business, you start to anticipate the challenges, right? Yeah, it's interesting you shared that. And I love the example you gave about just analyzing and, and you gave the example of like a building schedule, which we can all appreciate. And for a designer who's maybe looking at that design process with the client mm-hmm. or the architect that's working with the client, then you have the consultants and us as a builder, we have our building schedule. There's always a moment in that schedule where everything is like it's, uh, I, I've said it before on the podcast, emotional roller coaster. And this is where the clients get frustrated, you know, yeah. because there's por- parts of the building where they're super excited, you know, cabinets are in there excited, you break ground or you demo the house or whatever, or demo like for a remodel, you know, you're doing demo. Mm. And then it goes slow. And so they go through these kind of waves of emotions. And But as a builder, we have the same thing. I can see where my team gets discouraged at certain points of the build, right? Depending on what build it is. And especially as you get into finishes. And to your point, mm-hmm. Dominic, when you're talking about the facade, like some of these houses, you get into finishes and there is needed manpower. There is needed time to get the details right. So internally, I have to be able to have a dashboard to be reckon, like cognizant of what's happening yeah. I have to at least have some kind of labor chart to show me when all my jobs are hitting this stage so that I can understand, you know, the stress that's going to be put on my organization at that time. Yeah. You know, there's another report, and you may do this one already. And, uh, I call it the end of job report. You know, it could be called the autopsy. Yeah, <laughs> what did, autopsy. What did, I've heard What that. did we yeah. estimate and what was the actual? And actually lurk, looking back at our past, at past jobs, gives us really a really good sense of the future. But the other thing that comes from that, if I want to move towards being a proactive business person, I'm always struggling to get more proactive in the business. And I, but I think that's the point, is that you're always working towards being more proactive in the business. But when I do that and I start to anticipate these problems, I start to anticipate it's a communication issue at some point. So you know the boring part of a, or this, it just takes forever to do a certain piece of the work. I should be telling my customer that up front. How a, let's just make this up, how a custom home renovation happens in Sacramento. Well, that should be a document I give to the customer. And during the sales process, I should say, this is where it's going to be exciting. This is where things are going to seem like they're taking forever. And then suddenly you'll leave one Tuesday night, you'll come back Wednesday morning and the roof is on. Oh my gosh, it looks like it's done. You know, whatever that frustrating part is. But if we anticipate that, like the lighthouse, we can start to move from being that reactive captain who's now taking angry phone calls from a customer who drove by with their friend and now they're embarrassed that the house isn't as far along as they thought it was and your lighthouse said remember mr mrs jones mr mrs hernandez 
We talked about this. This is the process we're at. Look at your flowchart. We're right here. By next week, you're actually going to see the roof. So tell your friend to come back. We'll be there. Uh, Dom, I think you just, this is why I love this podcast is when I bring in guests such as yourself and every time, you know, my, my goal has always been that when listeners come on, they get, you know, two, three, four nuggets, right? That they can take back, they can apply to their business and, right. and ideally, you know, be a better business owner, better entrepreneur or just whatever. Maybe they're a leader and they want to communicate better with their team. And that's why I bring like a variation of people. What's interesting is, uh, you know, I've spoken about the emotional roller coaster, which is, you know, really dedicated to the build, but case in point today I was with a potential client, business development, you know, and they want to hire us to build their their residence. And, uh, you know, I'm walking through the timeline, which I tend to do. And I know the timeline. They don't know it. Like the first time building a house. Okay, what do I do first? Hire an architect, hire a builder. You know, you go through these steps. How long? Do, and then I tell them, hey, it's going to take 12 months to wear a permit. They're like, wait, what? Like we can't start in like three months. And I'm like, well, here's why. Here's kind of the roadmap. But something I've never done, and what a waste of my time now that I'm speaking to you, Dom, so you've had to correct this for me, is that I've never created this roadmap, like you said, home renovation in Sacramento. But essentially for me, mm. some, I, you know, a building, not, not even a building schedule, but just a map. Like, here's what happens when you engage me and we have the team. Here's step one. Mm -hmm. Here's step two, step three, up to permit. And it's going to roughly take this amount of time. And here's why. Here's the phases. And then the build, if it's a hillside, you're going to have six months of hillside and then the slab. And I'm not giving them a finite schedule, but at least I can hand them a document and say, okay, look, here's your, you don't have to take all these notes. If you're hiring us, you're going to be in your house in two years or two and a half or three years. And here's all the complexities that'll put you in these right. different categories. Yeah. And, and the problem, that's fantastic. I'm glad you have that as a takeaway. But the problem <laughs> is they watch TV shows and in 30 they minutes, yeah. well, in 22, you know, one of those half hour shows is really 22 minutes, but like... Oh, we're breaking ground. Oh, we're moving in. Oh, we just had a birthday party for my daughter. And you're like, that just happened in a TV show. It, it is funny that you give the TV show example because, um, and, and again, without calling any, you know, big TV shows out there, but the reality is when it comes to time and price, it seems to be irrelevant for them because somehow they build these things at no cost and they do it in five days, which is like, yeah, you know, impossible, I mean. especially in this time and age. But, but the reality is what it comes down to, Dominic, is... Having a document such as this, it does a couple things. One, it makes a, a, a company such as RC more professional, right? More mm -hmm. educated. It, it, it's going to save time in the sales process or the vetting experience, right? For both the client and myself, uh, that interview. And it just, it puts, you know, it shows that we, we understand really from A to B that oh, whole dynamic. And if yeah. we understand that, it allows us to now refine. And as you mentioned, create that dashboard to now analyze it autopsy it and then like refine it more and more over the years to come yeah i you mentioned about the sales process and i'm always thinking about this you know the marketing and sales getting that right client in the right mindset to engage with us you're now moving towards the lighthouse you, you problems it, problems are still going to come up let's agree on that this is not magic but but at least we can point back to a central document that says hey here's here's where here's where we are in the path we're waiting for the city to get back to us. It's not us that hasn't shown up. The city hasn't given us the permit or whatever, right? But I also want to think, I like to think about the kitchen table. What am I doing in my business to influence my client's kitchen table conversation when they're having dinner? Because they're going to get a couple of quotes. They're going to talk to a couple of other builders like yours, like you. I mean, you've got a great Instagram page. Nobody would ever choose anyone other than you. <laughs> right? But they're, they might, they might try. But they look at you and they get this very professional one-page outline of what it looks like 
when a, a, a high-end custom home is built in this city. The next guy comes along and writes it on the back of his business card. Or on a piece of graph paper. Yeah, I don't know. We built this thing for, I don't know, somewhere between 800, 1.2. And they hand it to the people. So now back at their kitchen table, they're like, ah, uh, we're going to go with Brad. He knows what he's talking about. He has it on paper. He didn't write it on a graph. You're not writing things on a piece of graph paper, are you, Brad? Oh, I'm not. No, no. <laughs> you just you weren't giving me any facial recognition there. I was like, oh. I'm taking I'm taking mental notes, right? No. I... <laughs> Anyways, I'll I'll leave I'll leave you to guide the conversation. I'll stop. No, I'm glad you you need to. This is always what makes it more more fun with the guests when they're super engaged and they're they're kind of putting me on the spot or or so feel free to ask me questions. I love that aspect. But um, I I guess your point. What's interesting is it really what it comes down to is we're we're in a world, uh design construction architecture where it's just uh and mm -hmm. all of us would agree that in most cases not the most organized right it just isn't it's it's a chaotic industry it's a tough industry you're dealing with uh in a lot of cases unskilled labor unrealistic timelines unrealistic budgets and then a lot of things that are outside of our control dominated by the manufacturers and supply chain and i mean there's just so many aspects so of this. Many. but yeah. yeah but your point tom is that the more that we can analyze and document and have systems for mm -hmm. and you know write down like like you mentioned, I could create an easy template after this conversation to say, here's the channel of that sales process. And I can use that now in my process. I can use the emotional roller coaster. And these are just tools in my arsenal. To your point, that as you sit in front of that client, you can now start dictating the clientele you want because you're going to be able to be more selective because you've built this brand. That's right. And they and know so that you know. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's confidence. I, what I've seen is some of the most successful I've been around, s s people such as yourself, Dom, is that as I spent more time around successful business owners inside of and outside of construction is they have a confidence, right? There's a preparation. There's a knowledge. There's a wisdom from being in business, from understanding, as you mentioned, every little part of the whole thing. If they understand it, you know, they can communicate it well. And, and I want to bring this up to your TED Talk and not to sidetrack, but what's interesting is offline before you came on, I said, Hey, you know, Dom, I saw you on Ted talk, which is really amazing. Cause I've always found, you know, public speaking can be really difficult. A lot of people mm -hmm. are like, I can't be on camera, you know, when they're thinking about their social media presence and, you know, and you take it to a Ted talk, that's a whole new level. Right. And where you're standing at a podium in front of people and your adrenaline's running, how do you prepare for that? Right. How do you stand with so much conviction, you know, to speak at an environment such as the one you did? Yeah. It was hard, it, like really hard. And I'm a relatively trained public speaker. I don't do it for a living, but I do it a lot as part of what I do. And I'm not sure if you've heard a of a gentleman named Brian Tracy. He's a professional speaker. He's very big in the 80s and 90s. He's my old business partner. So I've been in that world of professional public speaking a lot. And you know how I got to deliver that flawlessly? Because I did a good job on that. I, there was surveys afterwards that said I was one of the two best speakers there. So that's kind of nice. But I failed a bunch. <laughs> I presented at my church. I presented to the school attached to the church. I presented to a friend's engineering company. I presented to a friend of mine at his Christmas party. He does a uh, um, high elevation window washing. You know, the guys that hang off yeah. the ropes. Oh, yeah. And I blew it and I blew it and I blew it. And every single time I walked out of there with my head hung in shame and I went back and I studied again. So let me ask you, when you say you blew it, and, and just to break that down, what does that mean, you know, for us listening? Thank you. So you wouldn't know in the audience that I blew it because I salvaged it from what I knew. You know, I still I cobbled it together, but it wasn't right. 
And so I left and I went, I had to make up that part. You know, when I presented to my kid's school, which is attached to the church, I only did half the presentation. <laughs> I was seven minutes. And they're they, like, they all looked at each other and went, oh, I guess we clap now. And I forgot half the speech. <laughs> forgot it. But then they were like, oh, that was wonderful. Thank you. Great insights. And they said, you know, you could, you could conclude it a little bit better. I'm like, I missed half the speech, but I didn't say, <laughs> I didn't take it away from them because they didn't know. Right. And so then I, of course, I get back in my car and I'm banging my head on the steering wheel like, you dummy, what did you do? And then back to the drawing board to practice again. But I needed to anticipate, you know, there's cameras on you during the TED Talk. There's, there's around 3,000 people in the audience. You only have one chance to nail it. And then the TED Talk people tell you, this is going live forever. So that's a lot of pressure. And I was telling a story about my daughter. So that's going to be pressure that follows her as well. So... It's interesting. And, and that was totally unrelated to what we're discussing here. You know, you're speaking about family at that. But what's interesting is uh, I, I think there's a couple points from when I the, the reason I asked you about when you said you failed or what does that mean to you is that a lot of times in business uh, and, and one of my good mentors had taught me this, that we so many times and I've said this on the podcast is that we focus on our failures, not our successes. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of times we're our own worst enemy. We're very critical of ourselves. We focus on and have a couple of peers. I mean, Anyone could relate. Listen, you could have 20 clients and you could have one or two of them that are just really bad for whatever reason, whether it's self-inflicted or it's their personality that are unrealistic and they mm-hmm. could sour the experience of everything, like for yeah. all the employees. And it's, you know, and, and, and so many times we focus on this instead of saying, okay, I need to take a pause and focus here. And to your point, Dominic, that you're saying, okay, I internally know I missed, you know, missed this, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix it. Here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to prepare myself yeah. even more for the next round. Right. Reactive to proactive. Reactive to proactive. We can cobble it together, all of us. If somebody's listening to your show, Brad, it's because they've already made it to level X. But I'll tell you, if they're listening to your show, it's because they want to get to whatever's next after X for them. Right? So they already know how to cobble it together. They already know how to make it happen out of thin air. But those that want to get proactive in their businesses are listening to try and learn something to apply in their business. That's the difference. See, Move towards and, and, the lighthouse. And, and I love to get that example that moved towards the lighthouse as you're thinking, you know, mentally, okay, where am I at in my career? Am I a, 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 the captain at the ship, you know, screaming at the lighthouse soon? <laughs> or am I the lighthouse that's actually, you know, yeah. I, I'm building systems, I'm here. But essentially, it's a process. And it's so easy to look at Dom and say, man, Dom is just, he's a really bright guy. You know, he's author, he's, you know, built these businesses, but they don't realize that even something as simple, and this is what's amazing about some of these entrepreneurs. Something as simple as public speaking. I shouldn't even say simple, but you do a TED Talk and it it's a 15-minute TED Talk. And right. people will go on and watch it, won't think much of it, and they don't realize for a year, Dominic's rehearsing yeah. that in his bedroom. He's speaking in public <laughs> events, the same speech. He's practicing and, and fixing that over and over. And it's all that time spent behind the scenes that nobody sees. It's, it's actually funnier and more visual than that. So my daughter at the time was a competitive swimmer and they swim early in the morning. So I would drop her off and go to the Starbucks. So I was the guy in the corner talking to himself at Starbucks for a year. (laughs) See, you're just about to drink. I got you there. But I would just mutter to myself the speech again and again, because I, the the one that I did was a very uh, highly organized TED talk. Some, you know, there's different, different types, but uh, I had to be word for word and I had to hit time marks. It's amazing. And then it just goes to show to be good at business, you know, a lot of us, uh, business is just, and, and this is really important is that what I've had to learn over the years is that 
yes, I'm in construction, but I'm, I'm a business owner that happens to do construction. And really, I have to understand business and communication and systems right. and processes and then integrate them as to the best of my ability into the construction world, which will then help you know, build our brand. And mm. just that company culture, which I do want to dive into with you, you know, company culture is such a big aspect of that. Yeah. There's, you know, it's funny. It's hard to be a business owner. Yeah. How have you been so successful? Maybe tell us that, Dom, because you've built and sold so many businesses. I mean, you have a book about, you know, construction millionaire secrets, right? And, and mm-hmm. you have a book there. I'm looking right there behind me. And then, you know, it's how oh, yeah. to build million and multi-million dollar company, you know, doing business a smart way. Like how, how have you found success being a business owner? I have found success by, actually, here's the simplest thing. Michael Gerber wrote a book called The E-Myth Revisited. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. It's the E Myth Revisited. The E Myth Revisited. I I, I, have a I joke. will read it. Yeah, oh, it's so good. I call it the most painful book I ever read. I was living in a small townhouse with my wife at the time, and I remember I was walking around our very small living room. You know, one of those narrow, small <laughs> living rooms. And I would read two pages, and then I'd close the book, and I would beat my head against it, like, oh, 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 I'm doing this wrong. But the E-Myth Revisited is an excellent book. Michael Gerber, it's, it's, out, it's an old book. It's not even new. But the wisdom of it is in chapter two or three, he talks about the tension that we have in our mind as a business owner because we're being pulled in three directions. The one direction is the technician. You know, in our trade, it's swinging the hammer. It's, it's, it's being on the tools, whatever that is. Yeah, the labor. The labor, right? Doing what we do. The second tension pulling on our mind is the manager who's counting things and measuring things. And the other tension in our mind is the entrepreneur looking towards the future and asking the big questions, how can I and what if? What I've worked really hard at understanding is how to balance between entrepreneur and manager and stay out of technician mode. Now you have to do some technician work. You've got to go on site. You've got to talk to the customer. You have to make the sale or you have to install the you know, curtain wall. Whatever you have to do, you do. But that's not your job anymore. My job, my job is to make sure the future of this business is strong so the people who work for me have gifts under the Christmas tree for their kids. That's my job. That's my job. And so I constantly try to pull myself up there and then obviously build strong people around me who can help me fulfill that dream or that vision. Now, let me ask you this, uh, and, and, and maybe this is just for some advice here because most business owners can understand that importance, right? That um, the easy analogy, again, going back to, you know, early in my career, I remember we were so busy and this is again, pre-recession. So it's 2007. Mm. Everyone could have any job is kind of similar to what we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, yeah. developments, investments, like over the top, everyone's remodeling. I mean, just crazy stuff. And I remember the owner of our company and our director of operations, they said, oh, we need another job. Like we need a hole in our head, right? They didn't do business development. They just endless supply. Economy changes, bam, nothing yeah. there. Go from 300 employees down to 30. I mean, it's just catastrophic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, again, th- only some of this maybe they could, could have controlled because, you know, it was a pretty tough recession for many people. However, you know, many business owners now understand, at least you and, you know, you and I to some extent that we understand by focusing on their business, we have to build a backlog and a pipeline and we want to bring on good people. We want to train them yeah. and have, you know, but we have to focus on, the company and growth and future projects. However, that role's different. You know, that role may entail 
playing a round of golf with the client. It may entail a dinner. It may, uh, we can get away, whatever it may be. Right. And yeah. you know, maybe a business lunch or whereas sometimes employees in the weeds that are doing, as you mentioned, the technician part, mm-hmm. they may feel there's something unjust or why do they get to do this? Or, you know, so how do you, how do you create that culture as a business owner where you still have a commitment from those on your team that understand the big picture, if you will, that everyone's role is different, that, you know, when you're focused on the business, it's a different scope as to maybe being in the weeds with the te- technical part. Yeah. I don't know that they ever understand it. <laughs> I will I say do. that. I don't know they ever <laughs> understand it, but it can tell you that building a great culture starts with hiring people who have the potential to be great on the team. So there's, um, um, there's a concept called the Victor victim mentality. Um, the really boring reference is the internal and external locus of control. And it's an old University of Melbourne study. But somebody wrote a book on it actually more recently. It's called the Oz Principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Oz as O-Z. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's two kinds of people in the world. And I want to hire the kind of people who are above the line. And I want to stay away from people who are below the line. And so I have to be the guard at the gate to make sure that if you're getting into my company, you're at least geared towards that positive side. So people who are above the line, we call them the winners of the world, the victors. Below that line, well, they're below the line. And so we, the opposite of winner is? The loser, the The victor, the victim. (laughs) The victim, right? So we call them the whiner because as a business coach, I have to be a little bit politically correct, just a little. (laughs) But, But I'll tell you what, when I do the definition, the fact that you said loser is going to sting somebody listening to this show. It's going to sting them because somebody who's above the line acts a certain way. They're positive and they're proactive, right? They take responsibility. They take ownership for the things they do. They have some sort of vision. So when I'm looking at their resume, and this is a person with no skill who's working at Wendy's, but also has their black belt and jutkin yeah, at judo, that's who I want because they've shown me they've done, you know, they have some sort of vision. People who are below the line place blame. They make excuses. They're negative. They're in denial. And everything in the world is against them. And when that guy shows up to work, I have to ask him to change or ask him to leave. And listen, I'm a really nice guy until I'm not. You're just not going to make it on this team if you tell me, and I'm sure you've heard this too, Brad. Hey, Brad, sorry I'm late today, man. They've been working on the highway for three months. It makes me late every day. You just We hear the craziest things as owners, don't we? Oh, yeah. Blame, 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 blame. All right. I just, one of my clients just showed me a text message that he got from an applicant. And the applicant says, sorry, I missed the interview today. My father has stage four cancer and my phone is broken. Can I come in tomorrow? Just think about that statement for a second. Your dad's, uh, no, he just wrapped his dad up in his excuse for missing an interview but he thinks tomorrow's going to be okay. His dad's still going to have cancer if that's the real reason. And how's he texting me anyways if his phone is broken? <laughs> but but they, people do that. Well, that person's below the line. And although we are hard, it's hard to get labor now. If I hire that guy or allow him to stay on the team, shame on me. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are build a trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, 
all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Well, I love that you said, made that point that even though labor's tough, shame on me, because just like all of us know we've heard, there's nothing more expensive than a cheap bid, right? If, <laughs> if, if you're going to hire a cheap contractor, it's going to be very expensive. If you hire a bad Apple employee, it's going to be very expensive. It's still cost and training and you know, it could yeah. be a culture killer. And so you have to really analyze that. Are there, you know, as, as you're counseling businesses and consulting them, how do you work through just the hiring process thinking about this? When we know what that line is, whatever it may be for the company, you know, how do you decipher and vet that? Because that's where it can be really challenging. It is. So we need simple systems because not everybody's sitting behind a desk all day. You're talking about a guy running a framing crew or a roofing crew or cabinet. It doesn't, you know, whatever. We're busy. And somebody shows up and says, hey, I'd like to work for you. You think, I need hands. But give them a little test. I, I accept that you need help today, digging post holes, digging whatever it is, but give them a little test. Listen, I'm going to hire you today, Brad, but I have homework for you tonight and tomorrow I'm going to check on it. Can you watch this video? And I'm just going to pick a random one. Watch this video on ladder safety, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Watch this video on roof anchors and, uh, and fall safety, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Brad, if you show up tomorrow, it's my responsibility to ask, did you watch that video I sent you on YouTube? It's not even my video. It's a YouTube video on ladder safety. And if you say no, I got to let you go. I asked you to do one thing. I just asked you to do that one thing. Now, obviously, I have to be clear about it. I have to explain why that's important. I have to explain that 
climbing a ladder is part of what we do. All of that's there. But if I've been really clear on my side and you didn't do the one thing I asked, which is watch a YouTube video, this isn't going to work. I need people who are proactive, who take ownership, who take responsibility, who do not place blame or make excuses. Yeah, I, I love that aspect. The, the, when you talk about that, take ownership, they're proactive, they don't make excuses. I think most people listening can really understand someone's communication style or personality to some extent if they're that type of person. More importantly, I think you touched on a leadership aspect, Dom, is that you said, and, and you emphasized this, you said you have to make sure that, yeah, you're given this assignment, which many of us give assignments to our people, but you make them accountable. You actually follow up, right? You said yeah. the next day, did you do this? And how many times as managers or business owners do we make assignments and not follow up or just we hope get that it gets done? Yeah. We get busy or more importantly, where we're our employees really care when you start thinking about like financial, like, hey, Dom, make some goals for this year. And if I'm not making you accountable for your goals, like how, how much do I care as a leader? And then does that even matter as we sit down at year, half year, mid-year reviews, right? Yeah, I've done that. Like, I'm not a perfect business coach, I'll tell you that. I've gone through entire coaching meetings. And at the very end, somebody says, did you want to ask me about the homework you told me to do? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no. The, you know, they did all this work. They did their work. They did their part. And I went off on another tangent or, you know, something else came up. But I forgot to say, did you do your work? And let's talk about it. They're very proud of it. And so if I continue to do that, why would they do the work next time? I'm not going to check anyways. Yeah, it's interesting. It's always funny when, you know, we lose our own track of mind at times. So when you're consulting businesses, um, why that? I mean, why, why change a career? You know, having built businesses yourself and, you know, uh, why, why get into like the consulting side? What, what's, is there similarities it's, or? Yeah. So it's, I think it, it's interesting that you asked the question that way. It's not a change of career. It is my career. I'm a business coach. I just happened to start businesses along the way. I love so that. back in 1999, I was a corporate guy. I worked for Sprint and this was so long ago, Brad, I sold long distance. Now, now nobody Isn't sells long money? distance anymore. Yeah. It just <laughs> no. comes. It comes with any Estee Lauder purchase at the mall. Like it's nobody buys long distance anymore, right? But I used to sell corporate long distance. So companies that spent like 10, 20,000 a month in long distance, I was the guy who sold you on Sprint. So I learned a little bit there how to uh, do some coaching and I, I won't get into it too much, but I had a side business and I was selling junk on eBay and I sucked. It was not a good business. It was fun. I was selling used calculators and Dungeons and Dragons games and old ColecoVision <laughs> and Atari systems. But it wasn't, it was really, have you ever seen one of these businesses? It's, it's not doing well enough to close and it's not doing well enough to keep open. Yeah. And so I was, I gotta be a better business person. And I was done with corporate. That's another story. We can do another podcast on that. Oh yeah. And so I thought, you know, I was already a student of uh, self-improvement and business improvement. And then I ran across this opportunity to become a business coach, to learn, to, to teach it. And I thought, well, I just came from corporate and I did that internally there. So I took that anyways, I became a business coach and that's where I took that ColecoVision and used junk business and turned it into an online bookstore. And then I turned that into a mail order pharmacy. And when I sold it, we had 500,000 customers per year and it was a, a mail order pharmacy and I'm not a pharmacist. Yeah. How do you get into pharmacy? I mean, this is such a far cry from Sprint to selling a, a, a used to, to yeah, yeah, to construction to here you are doing pharmacy. Yeah, but I'm, I'm neither of those things. I'm and also not a cabinet installer or a roofer. I'm a businessman who happens to run a company. 
right? And so we label ourselves by saying, well, I'm really good at cooking, so I have to be a chef. You, you know, you need to, if you want to do that, you need to become a business owner who happens to run a restaurant. Or you'll always be working late, cleaning up, mopping after everybody's gone. You just, you're always going to be stuck in that loop. And so that's what I recognized early on by becoming a business coach. And so I learned from my clients because I was coaching clients and I thought, well, I'm showing them how to do it. Why don't I do it? And so I made those changes internally, systems, processes, hire the right people, look for attitude, focus on what's good. So I'd imagine over your career, you've, you've worked a lot of businesses, seen a lot of people. How do you work through when you're a business coach consultant, when you find leaders or that maybe are victims themselves, you know, they're not the victors and because not every business owner is this idealistic yeah. victor, right? Yeah. You know, I struggle with this question because it's a pretty self-selected group. I've, I've had a handful of people that were below the line, but usually by the time they get to having the conversation with me, they're, they're weeded out. There's no fit. It's not going to happen. And I'm sure Brad, you find the same thing. Somebody doesn't become one of your leaders or managers if they've got the wrong attitude for some reason they just kind of melt away because there's no fit right now they leave and that well that brad guy's got unrealistic expectations whereas the guy that started the same day as him said man i love this it's so nice when we see the homeowner move in and and i'm so proud that i did the you know molding and trim it's just a, it's just there it's in their head now as a manager as you're you know listening to this um I would imagine there's also times where going back to difficult projects that may, maybe have a client that's really aggressive, screamer, you know, unrealistic, you know, how, how can that affect the temperature or culture on that employee itself that may be a victor, but now they're becoming the victim because of, you know, lack of a better word, maybe the circumstance that they find that they're, they're in. Yeah. You mean, so when, how do I deal with a client who's a little bit below the line? Well, yeah, a client or, yeah, a client, or I look at this as an employee and, and, and maybe because I have, uh, going through this, you know, how do I support a couple team members that may be dealing with a difficult client that's really creating a lot of anxiety and stress and wear and tear on that individual, right? Well, let's make that situation worse so that I can answer it, I think, a little bit better. Let's say somebody listening has a family member in the business. It might be a partner. It might yeah, be. this is actually a good topic because a lot of people reach out like, <laughs> how do I do this with family? But go ahead. Well, and so family businesses are one of my specialties. That large business, that pharmacy was with my cousin. So we're still cousins, but we're not business partners. <laughs> so walk it's, through it. Well, explain yeah. that. But let, let me go. Let me use the analogy here sure. that we're using here in construction. So when we have, when there's, uh, it's really, a, our values are different. Right. And I don't want to get all lucky charms on this thing, but it, we just have a different way of seeing the world. They think they're right. And I think I'm right. Let's let's start there. So I have to show by example that I'm only willing to accept above the line type of communication, uh, above the line thoughts and above the line processes. And then I have to it's, it's going to be a long process if you've got a family member or an employee, a valued employee who's below the line and you have to work with them over time. It may never change, but you can mitigate it. If it's a family member, it just is. It just is. But we have to mitigate that as much as possible. And so by continuing to emphasize, we're not that kind of company. We're the company that takes responsibility. We're the company, we're, we're the kind of company that doesn't blame the customer. And it might feel like you're beating your head against the wall, but it will come to pass that at least they're gonna become quiet when it gets to be an awkward conversation and let you take the lead. That we, 
unless we actively take the lead on what the culture of the business will be, that negative culture will take over. How many successful partnerships have you seen in companies? Oh, I've seen tons, actually. There's some, you know, <clears throat> not to call out any community in particular, but the Amish are so kind to each other when they're brothers and cousins. They're so incredibly kind in extremely difficult situations. But usually, I mean, I can't say usually. You know, I'm dealing with people who have some vision for the future, but they're, they're lost. They know they're the captain and they want to be the lighthouse. And so they're open to change. And it takes a while sometimes, but we'll get them there as long as they're open to it. You know, for a business owner, uh, and again, not asking you to consult everyone on the show today, you know, if, if I'm a struggling business or, you know, are there certain metrics I should be looking at? You know, are there certain things that, mm. you know, we're, we're, when you're working and you may have a pattern here as you're bringing on a client for the first time, you know, what are those some first areas of investigation where you're looking into and say, you know what, I really think we should start here. You yeah. know, to start making some changes. Okay, well, you just took me into boring land, but can I just be boring? <laughs> I don't think any of this is boring, but that's me. It's, well, the, because what we need is a business operations flowchart. I'm sorry, it's just, it's, I, there might be a better name out there, but that's what I call it. It's just how does business flow in and out of our company, right? So let's move from the general to the specific. And for those of you who are listening, not watching the video, you know, I'm, my, I'm holding my hands out at the top of a triangle here and it, and it gets very narrow at the bottom. So inverted triangle. It doesn't matter what company this is, by the way. And this goes to your question, how can I run a pharmacy? And then how can I run the other companies? And then can I, how can I be in constructions? Because I'm in the business of business. And this is how business always flows. The very top, there's marketing. That's how people, you know, marketing makes the phone ring sales, makes the cash register ding. So after marketing is sales. So what are your key marketing numbers you have to track? We can see a change in the market coming when we see our leads dropping off or the quality of the leads dropping off or the size of the jobs. That's the canary in the coal mine for us, right? So you start with marketing, then you move to sales. Well, there's some metrics we want to track in sales. And I'll give you a freebie here that is incredibly powerful for everybody. On sales, I want everybody to start tracking number of first appointments, which it, you said you met somebody today, Brad, hopefully... Mm -hmm. If this was the first meeting, that's the number we want to track. That's the leading indicator, not the fifth and sixth meeting. I don't care about the fifth and sixth meeting. I mean, I care. But as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I only care about that first meeting. So I, my hands are back up here. So we got marketing. Then we've got sales. Well, now the sale happens, right? So there's some administration or paperwork that happens in between there that moves it to production. So you might have engineering. Uh, for those of you who run... Uh, wood shops, there's going to be somebody doing, sending the plans to the CNC, right? Whatever that manipulation of the sales contract to make it come to life is, right? Elevations, takeoffs, all that stuff. So that's there. So what do we track there? Number of jobs sent to the CNC, number of packages completed, number of permits applied for, whatever. Then we've got production. And, you know, Brad, you and I are in construction, and construction has a million flavors, millions. So you can't say what, every, you know, what one person calls construction, another calls demolition, another calls refurbishing, whatever that is. And then after that, we've got quality control. Should be measured. Punch lists is language that we're very comfortable with. Change orders. We want to track those things, right? Those are indicators that tell us what's happening in the company. And then beyond that, we can get into the financial numbers. You know, what are, how many deposits did we collect? How many final payments did we collect? You know, what are our progress? All, all those things. It's just normal accounting stuff there. But the high level. I'm not an accountant. I don't want to be. There's people for that. 
now I can log in from Hawaii and I can see my whole company on a piece of paper or on one spreadsheet. And I can see where numbers are off or where trends are popping up that should cause me concern. And that's where I spend my time. I love that. And so I was just making this triangle here as I'm looking at this, as you're talking about marketing sales, you know, admin production, as we get down and, you know, into the financial side. My question for you is one of the points you made like today when I make this first visit, what do you mean by tracking, you know, that first indicator, that, that early indicator, that first meeting? Right. What does that mean? Are you saying that I need to calculate what's my closure percentage off of that? Or how often does that turn into a job? Or what, do, what metric am I really looking for? Yeah. So what, let's say that it wasn't you, but I was your sales guy. And you said, Dom, how many sales meetings did you have this week? And I'll say five. I had one every day. And you would look at your numbers and say, well, Dominic's doing a wonderful job. He had five meetings. But then you dig into it and you realize I've seen each of those clients nine times. Repeat, yeah. Well, that's not real data. What the only thing that counts when we are in sales is number of first meeting. Now you can see the sales manager part of my background coming up and the hackles on my back. That's all I only care about. I mean, there's other things, but as the leading indicator, number of first meetings. That will tell me our true forecast because then you can look at those first meetings and say well how much are they worth how much do we think they are you know what's their chance of closing and you can say well in the next six months 600 grand of business based on we did 1.2 million dollars of first meetings whatever your close rate is that makes complete sense and that's where you know given that analogy because i'm looking at it where it's just me pretty much our business development right we're a boutique firm it's different operation sure. but yeah but to your point where, you, where especially if you're a subcontractor a bigger firm and you have salespeople, or business development <laughs> That's how you can track is that how many first appointments, because yeah, when you've signed a client in your sixth, seven, seventh meeting down the line, they're, they're already in, you know, they're in the funnel. You so can't count that matter. meeting anymore. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't count. But what's interesting to that too, is as you think about these metrics, I, I was speaking to another contractor, he's a general contractor such as, such as myself, actually Jim with CRC Builders in Napa, California. And he said what he does for his salespeople, whereas estimating people, he says, Dom, you need to be bidding x dollars a quarter right mm. so he gauges it from his estimating department like say you need to bid six million dollars worth of work every quarter so wow. his responsibility is to have six million dollars a quarter of active projects that he's bidding right and tracking but it, but essentially it's the same thing whether you're tracking appointments or estimating jobs or whatever your business is specifically but that is what you need to be tracking that'll help gauge the future health and growth of the company yeah can I add to that? I, I just sure. wrote that note down. So thank you to CRC Builders. <laughs> um, in the beginning, it doesn't matter what you track. And the reason I say that is because you're becoming a company who tracks things. And you'll figure out after a little while, hey, we're tracking the wrong thing. But you can change that once you're already a company that tracks things. If you're not a company who tracks things, you're never going to figure it out. So go get it wrong. Like. Well, this actually goes back, I guess, to your point. The TED Talk seemed like it went flawlessly, but I failed a bunch of times. I don't have the expectation that I'm going to get it right every time. I'm, I'm definitely in the camp, and some people don't like this. I'm definitely a fire, aim, fire kind of guy. But I don't care. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to my best ability. And when I find out that doesn't work, I'm going to change, and we're going to do it again. And I allow my people to have that same leeway. 
Now explain this because I, I understand the fire ain't fire. The, you're not risk averse, right? And so explain what that means for those listening. What does it mean fire, you know, aim fire? So yeah, thank you. So my perspective is I'm not trying to be perfect. Perfection will kill creativity. And you're willing to jump off that ledge. Like I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to take a shot. I may have to recalibrate or aim right. or figure it out on the next round, but the next time I'm be even better and more accurate because yeah. I'm going to document this. That's right. But I can be an overthinker and I've, I've been an overthinker before where I'm like, what if we track this number and then we track this number and before you know it, filling out the form is another job in somebody's <laughs> career. No, we're, I've gone down the wrong path, right? Just get the right numbers, get a couple of good numbers, you know, get it, get it close to right. And then, you know, who's going to probably come back and tell me if, if I've made the right hires, one of them is going to put their hand up in a meeting and go, Dom, I think we're tracking the wrong number. You're tracking number of appointments, but shouldn't we be tracking number of first appointments? And then I think, wow, she's really smart. Because here I am following my system, but if I listen to my people, she's taking ownership, she's got a suggestion, and she's right. We should be tracking number of first appointments. And I love that when you when you've I, I, as a business owner, to your point, Dom, as you've as you've hired those victors, as you've hired, hired the right people on board, and they give great counsel because they're in this and they're given some great pointers and you take that to heart builds culture but also refines systems and it gives you another aspect to the company what, what's interesting is through your you know the upside down triangle you mentioned here is that one of the last aspects and i want to be sensitive to your time here but you mentioned the financial part and mm -hmm. i know uh, something you're big on is find and fix profit leaks right yeah and, you know yeah. essentially what is that when you're saying find and fix profit leaks you know, how does that factor into the entire process we're doing the autopsy as well as, you know, the end financial goal here? So there's, th thanks for asking. There's, there's eight different places in a construction business that there's profit leaks and going into each one of them individually isn't as much value as saying go, there's places in the company where we've got problems, whether we think they're, they exist or not. As an example, one of them is estimating mistakes that we make in estimating become indigestion through the whole company, right? Or it becomes a burp or something worse that we all have to deal yeah. with, right? A lot of times worse, especially lately. <laughs> so, but, but what I would, what I urge, you know, I like visuals, I guess you can tell Brad, but remember that, that general to the specific, imagine that's a path that we're building and there's a bunch of paving stones there. So estimating is one of those paving stones. I want to pick it up and I want to look under there and go, you know what? Estimate, we have one thing that we need to solve in estimating. Let's go solve that. So we solve it and then we put the stone back down and we move to the next problem. There's always going to be a next problem. There's a gentleman named Paul Akers and he wrote a book called Two Second Lean. Uh, just really great. He's a cabinet maker who specializes in lean manufacturing. Now, some people hear lean manufacturing and they, they put up their hands. Oh, we don't want to talk about lean manufacturing. Well, I'm still going to talk about it. He says something really great. He goes, after you fix a bottleneck, there's going to be another one. Go find it and fix that one too. And so it's an attitude thing. Remember the captain versus the lighthouse? That light is spinning. And when I'm looking for the problems and I go find that problem and I attack the problem, the problem runs away. We become kind of company that finds problems and fixes them. And those are the profit leaks. And that's why it's really important as you think about that, as you're thinking about your business, um, you know, the importance of... <clears throat> The cost analysis, the job costing, yeah. understanding where are we spending money? How much are we spending on marketing or travel? How much are we spending on uh, estimating, right? And, and understanding these numbers, you can evaluate them. And then, as you said, find the leaks and then fix those bottlenecks. 
how much are we spending on estimating, right? That's a good one because if we're, right now when we are going to be very picky or, or sorry, if we think there's going to be a change in the market, we're going to want to estimate everything. But there's a cost of free. I'm giving free work when I'm providing bids. So now to be proactive, I have to go back and qualify my leads even better to make sure that by the time we invest in estimating, we're only in estimating the best leads with the highest chance of closing. And then you hold that piece of paper up in front of them and said, this is how custom home rentals happen. Over $10 million in Sacramento. And I just made Sacramento up. Right. You know what I mean? Like you have to hand me that piece of paper for me to go, this person really understands my problems. And yes, I do live in a home over $10 million in Sacramento. Right? It's suddenly they're elevated and they're like, this is our guy. So you've now yeah, taken a qualified that. lead and you've ramped them up. It's amazing. I mean, I could, I could speak to you forever, Dom. What do you do for fun outside of business? I mean, I know how engaged you are in business in your career and you know, uh, what, what keeps you busy outside of that? So I, I love going to the gym. I go to the gym in the mornings. Um, anybody who follows my Instagram is very frustrated at my gym picture postings because it's not me posing. <laughs> I just, I have a picture of my sweat angels that I post. Um, but you know what? I'm a really bad fly fisherman. I love fishing. I actually took some clients fishing in Venice, Louisiana two weeks ago. And if you haven't gone, Brad, you've got to go. Oh, I need to. I've never been. Yeah. So, so I love fishing and hunting. Uh, I love hunting. I love hunting with my dad. He's 83 and I cherish every wow. single second of it. And you still go? Yeah. We do a lot of driving now. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you hunt? Is there any specific game you're, you're hunting after? I, I leave Friday for moose. Wow. Where at? Uh, well, if you know the path to the Alaska Gold Rush, you take that road and then you take a left and then you drive in for three hours. So that's where we're going. That's amazing. In the Pacific Northwest. Good for you. That's so exciting. I've a couple of my employees are, you know, from the Midwest, big hunters, they're heading back, you know, cause it's hunting season in it's November. It's season home. right now. Yeah. yeah. Good for you here. Here's a big thing, you know, to get drawn for elk, you know, in, in Phoenix, there are actually some really oh. big elk in North Phoenix and so good area. For anybody who watches the TV show alone, I don't know if you've ever seen that where they mm -hmm. drop people in remote locations. Oh yeah. 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 So there was an alone location on Vancouver Island, which was two hours from where I took my friend to get a seven by seven elk. <sighs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And then, and I, I, I would, I would be lying if I didn't tell you what I do for fun is I'm a dad. I love being a dad. Being a dad is why I sold my last company. And now, and my son it was not going well for my son, but he plays lacrosse, field lacrosse. I'm pretty sure he thinks he's going to be a famous field lacrosse player. I don't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> Thank God the PLL came along. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a dad and a husband. That's really what I am. That's amazing. So what do you have that's upcoming and exciting? Uh, well, I've got the fishing trip or the hunting trip with my dad. I'm, yeah. going, bone, I'm going for bonefish in Molokai in February. Uh, I've launched a new brand called 10X BLT, 10X Built. And <laughs> you can see that I like to have fun with what I do. For people that want to tow a bigger boat to a nicer lake with a newer truck, BLT, but also yeah. business, life, and time, it, you know, yeah. uh, I, I love, I am the luckiest guy in the entire world because I'm supposed to be a business coach. It's what I'm supposed to do. It's what I'm good at. It's what I love. And so I get to do it. I'm, well, that passion shows, I mean, especially when, when you're passionate about what you're doing, you know, you just have that much more engagement and authenticity. So you know, it comes across well-received Dom. So, um, thank you for the, and, and for the, all those listening, where can they find you? 
Um, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, although LinkedIn, I found <laughs> maybe don't do that because there's so many spammers on LinkedIn now. But you know what? You can find me at uh, Profit Tool Belt, which is one of my websites, ProfitToolBelt.com uh, or 10xblt.com. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. If you can't find me, you ain't looking. You're amazing, Dom. Well, I can't thank you enough for making time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. And hey, listen, folks, Brad was on my show, so you can hear him. He was, you were fantastic on my show too. Likewise, my friend. Thanks. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.